pray. Father, nothing compares. Nothing compares to you. And so, Father, we come and adore you this morning. We sing praises to you because you are king over all the earth. We stand under you. And we are in awe that you allow us to come to you. That you allow us to be in relationship with you through Christ. And so for that, we say thank you. Thank you for Jesus, our only hope in this life. Thank you for your word that you've given to us to help us to live godly and effective lives. Father, make us competent and equipped for every good work. Give us love for your word and love for one another. Father, help me this morning as I open your word. Help us to grow in love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Turning your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be continuing our series through 1 Thessalonians, and we'll be in chapter 3, verse 1 through 13 this morning. There are companies making millions of dollars off of people wanting to make their life just a little bit easier. Here are several of these companies. Amazon Prime. With a few taps, we can have nearly anything we want on our front porch in two days or less, right? Instacart. I haven't used this one, but groceries can be delivered to your door. That's convenient. DoorDash. Any restaurant without leaving the house can be delivered to your door. I was at Wendy's recently, and someone was DoorDashing Wendy's to their house. So that's a whole new level of convenience. Fast food delivered to your house. Uh, Target pickup, pull in the parking spot, open your trunk, and your shopping's done. Unless they forget something, then you, then you have to go back in. Uh, this one still makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, Apple Pay. So recently I forgot my wallet. Ren and I were out at Publix, and I forgot my wallet. And I was uh, tempted to go home, but I had Apple Pay on my phone, and I put it up to the register, and it was paid for it was convenient. It was easy. It made life really easy for me. Some of these conveniences are awesome. They really do make life easy. Not all of them, but many of them do. But here's my one concern when connecting this to the Christian life. I'm afraid that with this world around us trying to make life easier, that we as Christians sometimes expect life to be easy too. As I was reading 1 Thessalonians 3 this week, I was reminded that the Christian life is not easy. It's not Amazon Prime. This passage is a reminder that the Christian life is one of endurance. And in fact, we need to understand that it's often filled with difficulty. It's often filled with affliction. And so our main point this morning is this. We must exhort one another to endure in faith, especially when affliction comes. We must exhort one another to endure in faith, especially when afflictions come. For the kids in the room, exhorting is a big word that we use for strongly encouraging. So we we'll strongly encourage one another. And then affliction is a word that might mean pain, suffering, or hard times. So I put together three, three points that I think the text offers us uh, underneath this main point. And so if you're a note taker, here you go. I'll give them to you in advance. One, remember that affliction will come. Second, exhort one another to faith and love. And three, pray for perseverance to the end. One, remember that affliction will come. Exhort one another to faith and love. And three, pray for perseverance 
to the end. First, remember that affliction will come. As Christians, we must remember that we're not promised uh, that hard times will never come. We're just not. In fact, up to chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul himself has already experienced affliction. He's run out of town by a mob. Remember, he takes the gospel to Thessalonica, and these unbelievers run him out. And then he goes to another town, and then they take the mob to that town as well to chase him down there. And if this happened to Paul, imagine what's happening to the Christians that are living in Thessalonica after he leaves. The same group that ran the Thessalonians, or ran Paul out of Thessalonica, are the next door neighbors of these new Christians. They are likely passing by each other on the streets every single, every single day. We don't have a clear statement as to what the exact afflictions were that these Christians were facing, but it's implied that there was suppression of the gospel message, uh, oppression due to their newfound faith in Jesus, and maybe even threats to their lives. Paul was threatened uh, with his life, and so I'm, I'm sure that there potentially was that as well with these newfound Christians due to their hostility toward Paul. The community didn't welcome these new Christians kindly in Thessalonica, we could say. And Paul has concern about this. He, he knows that they're experiencing affliction, and his big question is whether or not these Thessalonians are being moved by these afflictions. Have they snapped under the pressure is what he's wanting to know. This is why he's so eagerly wanting to visit them and to see if they have kept the faith or if they have crumbled when the persecution and the pressure hits. The suspense is high for Paul. And that's evident in the language of uh, not being able to bear being separated from them any longer. And so let's go ahead and read this text. Here we are, and Paul is, uh, is expressing this concern that he's separated from them. And so let's dive into 1 Thessalonians 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left, alive, uh, left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to you to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you're standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your face. faith. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And so here we are. Paul is at this moment of suspense. Paul is concerned of whether or not the Christians in Thessalonica 
are persevering. So he's taking the gospel to them. He, he got ran out of town and he had to leave. And he knows that he experienced affliction, so they likely would be as well. And so he's away from them wondering, I haven't heard from them. I wonder if they're continuing to, in faith and love. There's suspense there. I know that many of you have experienced this suspense. Uh, when you watch a TV show and it ends, leaves a cliffhanger, and you say, okay, I have to watch the next episode, and then you start the next one, and maybe you watch the first part, and then you finish the rest of it the next day, but uh, you know suspense. We all understand uh, suspense. Imagine this. Imagine as a church, we plant a church one day, which Lord willing, we do. We plant a church. uh, We send a church the team out and, and uh, they establish a church. They're preaching the gospel. This ch- particular church is under uh, persecution and tension and pressure, we hear, uh, but we can't get in contact with them for some reason. Well, what would we do? We would want to send someone to go check on them. We would want to, the elders would want to send somebody to go check on them. They'd say, hey, for example, Will, you go, you go check on them and bring back a word uh, on to see how they're doing. This is exactly what is happening here in, in 1 Thessalonians. Paul is sending Timothy. He can't bear any more. He wants to know how the Thessalonians are doing, and so he sends Timothy to, to check on them, to encourage them, to see if they're continuing in the, in the faith. Verses 2 and 3. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Paul has genuine concern for these new believers. He wants them to be steadfast and immovable when difficulty strikes. He's concerned that when this happens, these, these, when the difficulty happens, the new believers would say, forget it. Following Jesus is too hard. And by doing so, sadly prove to not be true believers at all. I think that, that Paul has the teachings of Jesus in mind. He's concerned for these Christians in Thessalonica. He wants them to persevere to the end. And I think he has the teachings of Jesus in mind. Particularly, he's aware of the parable of the sower, I think. So Matthew 13, 20 to 21, Jesus says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Paul doesn't want them to fall away when the affliction comes. He expresses the fear that is motivating this mission to send Timothy in verse 5, which says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, there's a suspense again, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and somehow our labor would be in vain. So Paul has this concern. He wants these Christians to press on, to prove to be true believers. He doesn't want them to hear the gospel message and then when life gets hard, to just forget it and move on. But by God's grace, the tempter did not come and snatch the seed that was sown. The Thessalonians did not walk away when life got hard. Praise God that the Thessalonians proved not to be the rocky ground or the thorny ground as we read in the parable of the sower, but they proved to be the good soil there. Faith was intact and their love for one another was growing when Timothy arrived to check on them. They endured the affliction. They had hope during the affliction, knowing that God was with them. Paul helped prepare them for this. As there is a mutual understanding that the affliction they would face would not happen by surprise. It would not happen by accident. Instead, Paul taught them that they were destined for this. You see this in the last sentence in verse verse 3. It says, For you yourselves know that you were destined for this. They knew it. They knew that they were destined 
for these hard times. This is a hard verse, church family. We read this and we think, destined for affliction. It's, it's a hard verse to read. And honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, it might make us a bit uncomfortable when we read something like this. But it's clear that what they were destined for was, in fact, the affliction. It wasn't anything else. It was, in fact, the affliction. It was the persecution. It was the pain. It was the suffering that they were experiencing. But Paul prepared them for this. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. There was clearly preparation for affliction in Paul's discipling. As Paul was discipling this church, these new believers, he was letting them know, hey, it's following Jesus is hard. It's going to be hard. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be affliction. He wasn't preaching a gospel message that said that affliction wouldn't come. He was clear with them up front. This was a part of his discipling. So I have a question for you. Are you, prepa- are you preparing for affliction? Are you reminding yourself that we're not promised that it won't come as Christians. In fact, are you preparing for when it will come or when it does come? Are you storing up the promises of God when it does strike so that you can go to the promises of God when these difficulties hit? Let's be honest. When we think of affliction, we don't think of it being our destiny. I want to be destined for vacation in Hawaii. I don't want to be destined for hard times. I don't want to be destined for affliction. But there's no escaping the fact that affliction that the Thessalonians were facing was their destiny. Paul urged the Thessalonians to remember that it would come. This is part of enduring the difficulties of life, remembering that as Christians, we aren't immune from difficulty, but are often targets for it. If we think of it in the context of these verses, persecution, mistreatment. In our lives, we may be more familiar with Mocking, harsh words, suppression of the gospel message. But Christian, don't be surprised if persecution intensifies for you. There are Christians around the world who it has intensified for. And don't be surprised if it's us one day. Don't be surprised if it's you one day. There's also implications for the greater context of affliction and suffering as well. Death, sickness, pain. So in both contexts, we must remember that we were destined for affliction and the character of God will not leave us out to dry, even when life isn't easy, because the path to following Jesus isn't easy. This is why the path is narrow that leads to life and the path is wide that leads to destruction. The gospel frees us from every form of eternal suffering, but it doesn't promise freedom from every form of earthly suffering. This is where the prosperity gospel gets it all wrong. As I was thinking of the concept of being destined for affliction, I had the idea to browse christianbooks.com to see what books that christianbooks.com is selling about destiny, about Christian's destiny. And so when I typed in this idea, I came across four titles uh, that were titled Destined for Greatness. Okay, so four books titled Destined for Greatness. One titled, All Teens Destined for Greatness. Teens, there's one for you. This is my favorite. Divas Destined for Greatness. This is being sold on, uh, on christianbooks.com. Divas Destined for Greatness. I'm not endorsing these, by the way. These are just titles that I came across. Another one titled, Chosen, Appointed for Favor, Destined for Greatness. And so it seems as if on christianbooks.com, our destiny is connected to greatness, what I couldn't find is anything titled Destined for Affliction or anything, anything similar to that. Church family, I'm afraid that too many Christians assume that they're destined for greatness, so much so that they're surprised 
when affliction comes. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. We must build a proper theology of suffering. Affliction is hard, but it's not strange. We, just like Paul, we take him as a case study. We know what happens to him in, Thessal- in Thessalonica. Just, he gets run out by a mob. Two chapters before, he's stoned in Lystra. And then he goes to Philippi before he gets to Thessalonica, and he's thrown in prison. And so he faces affliction. He's not immune from challenges, from persecutions and hard times. Church family, some of you know affliction. Many of you know suffering. Some of you have lived long lives and experienced much affliction. Some of you have lived short lives and experienced much affliction. And in the mystery of God, some of you have experienced and will wind up experiencing more suffering and more affliction than others. And to all of you, I want to say that you have a church that cares for you, and most clearly, the Lord cares for you. Not only were you destined for this, but the Lord destined others in your life called the church to help you endure in faith and love. Paul has concern for them and their affliction, and so he sent Timothy to exhort them in faith and love. And this is our second point, that we should exhort one another in faith and love. Now, there are times when exhortation shouldn't be the immediate response to someone's affliction, depending on the suffering, depending on the circumstance at hand. It may be that sitting and listening is the best immediate response. But there will never be affliction that doesn't need some sort of strong encouragement, doesn't need some sort of encouragement from the Word. Some forms of affliction may require listening and then strong encouragement from something like Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 121, our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. This psalm reminds us that the Lord is our keeper, It seems as if this was the approach that Timothy ended up having to take. When he got there, they had faith, and they were loving one another. And so what did he do? He he didn't have to call them to repentance. He strongly encouraged them to persevere, to continue to endure the trial. Doesn't mean that there won't be times when we have to call someone to repentance, that exhortation doesn't—it might mean that we have to call someone to repentance, but sometimes it means, hey, press on, continue to follow Jesus, continue to have faith, continue to love. Sometimes we need, persevere, we need exhortation to persevere, to never stop growing in faith and love. But it's interesting because what happens in Timothy's attempt to encourage the afflicted saints in Thessalonica is that in return, Paul and Timothy and others, definitely Paul, they received encouragement as well. It ended up being mutual. This is often how it works in the Christian life. So after receiving the good news, Timothy takes this good news back to Paul. Paul receives that, and then he writes this. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress, so he's experiencing affliction, all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. And so as Paul sees these Christians in Thessalonica persevering when affliction is coming, he sees that, and in his affliction, he's comforted, and he's encouraged to press on and persevere and endure himself. He is encouraged to faith and love as well. He's comforted by them. There have been plenty of times when, when I've offered counsel to some of you, and in that conversation, you've given spiritual encouragement to me. Specifically, I think of a, a, a situation back in Florida. 
before coming to Abner Creek, uh, there was a man named Mr. Randy. Mr. Randy was going into a really important doctor's appointment. Um, he was going to a, a serious appointment with his heart doctor. Uh, a few of the pastors and staff were having lunch with him and praying for him, offering encouragement to him before this really serious appointment where he didn't know what news he would receive. And in the conversation, Mr. Randy quoted Psalm 112. This is the psalm that, that Scotty read earlier. Verses 6 and 7, For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. This is a man staring affliction in the face, staring suffering in the face, potential bad news. And yet he looked us in the eye and said, You know what? The righteous man is never afraid. The righteous man is not afraid of bad news. And so by us trying to encourage him, that was mutual. He ended up encouraging us and comforting us as well to endure in faith, to love Jesus more because Mr. Randy was not afraid of bad news. This is my prayer for you and for me that by God's grace, we would respond to affliction and to suffering in this way. Which leads to our third point. Pray for perseverance to the end. Pray for perseverance to the end. This is Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians that they would one day stand before God when Christ returns, holy and blameless. That's verse 13. They've turned from worthless idols to the living God. We've seen that at chapter 1, chapter 2. But now Paul wants to make sure that they're standing fast in the Lord. This isn't the primary passage for the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, but it's certainly one we could use the Thessalonians cannot lose their salvation, but a lack of perseverance and standing firm in the Lord would lead Paul to believe that his labor would be in vain, meaning they didn't have true repentant faith in the first place. And so praise God that in this case, it wasn't a parable of the sower situation, but they did stand firm, which is my prayer for you. And, I, and I'd exhort you to let that be your prayer for yourself and your prayer for others, that God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ would help us persevere, making us increase and abound in love for one another and for all. That's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. I'd encourage that to be our prayer for each other as a church. Love abounding for others is evidence of faith. When we love one another, that shows that we're followers of Jesus. He sends Timothy to learn about their faith. And the good news is that, yes, their faith is intact and their love for, one, for others is abounding. So not just loving one another, but it's, it's abounding. That's incredible. And Paul's prayer is that it would continue to abound even more. This is what perseverance looks like. This is what it looks like to grow as a Christian. And so I ask, are you a loving person? Is your love abounding? You might say, well, I'm, I'm a loving person, but maybe not that loving. Ask yourself, is my love abounding? Is it growing? Am I continuing to love others more and more? Do you love people enough to exhort them, pray for them in their affliction? One of the most loving things you can do for those hurting is pray for them. And another is to point them toward the Lord and the future hope that they have in him, to exhort them, to strongly encourage them, to give them hope. Jesus is coming again. In Christ, we have hope in him. We have hope in his second coming. The second coming of Christ is a primary theme that runs through the second half of 1 Thessalonians. In these coming weeks, as we continue through 1 Thessalonians, we're going we're gonna to see this theme come up more and more. Our hope in the second coming of Christ. 
Paul closes out this section of affliction with the coming of the Lord. Because church family, we have a future hope that helps us endure when affliction strikes. The future hope is in verse 13, that we will be established blameless before God. Not by anything that we've done, but because of what God has done through Christ. Church family, we can have hope and endurance when we're destined for affliction because Jesus was destined for the cross. We can have hope and endurance when destined for affliction because Jesus was destined for the cross. Acts 2.23 says, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Take great comfort that Jesus himself was afflicted by going to the cross to pay for your sins. Jesus was afflicted for you. This was God's plan for broken sinners to be brought back into relationship with God. And this has enormous implications for your suffering. Because Jesus being destined for affliction at the cross means that you can be holy and blameless, as verse 13 says. And because of this, you have hope that never fails. A hope that you can cling to when all else fails you and affliction strikes. Jesus came, he walked among us, and was destined for the cross. His blood paid for the penalty for your sin. And he rose again so that you could be holy and blameless. This is the hope of the gospel, church family. Not that Jesus makes this life easy, but that Jesus makes you holy and blameless by faith. And he will come again, where this will be established once for all, for all his saints, as the final verse tells us. This affliction will be no more. This is a hope. This is a truth that we remind ourselves of in this life. It will be no more. One day we'll be standing before God holy and blameless, and none, nothing else will matter but Jesus. As a church, we intentionally sing songs about hope and suffering because we know that suffering will come. We want to have a proper theology of suffering here. We don't want to ignore suffering, ignore affliction as if it won't come. So we sing songs together as a church that will help us. I pray that some of these lyrics would stick with us so that when suffering hits and affliction strikes, we'll be able to recall these lyrics to mind. This morning we sang, uh, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. That reminds us that the Lord, we need the Lord in every circumstance. We intentionally sing other songs like, He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Christ, our hope in life and death. What is our hope in, Christ, in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence that our soul belongs to God? We sing, It is well with my soul. We sing these songs, and I pray that they would help us to endure affliction, that they would help remind, ourselves, remind us of the fact that affliction will come. Here's a, a lyrics from a hymn titled, Afflicted Saints to Christ Draw Near. We haven't sung this one before. We may in the future. Maybe Mark will introduce this one in the coming months when he gets here. But it's called, Afflicted Saints to Christ Draw Near. And I find these words extremely comforting, especially connected to 1 Thessalonians 3. It says this, Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw Near, your Savior's gracious promise here. His faithful word you can believe that as your days your strength shall be. So sing with joy, afflicted one. The battle's fierce, but the victory's won. God shall supply all that you need. Yes, as your days your strength shall be. Church family, draw near to Christ. There's no other place for you to go in your affliction. As you draw near to him, he will give you strength. And there's no greater future hope than being established holy and blameless before the God that made you. You can be made right with God by faith in Jesus because Jesus 
was destined for the cross because Jesus was afflicted for you. This is your hope when affliction strikes. We're about to sing a truth in a minute that I pray will help you when affliction comes. It's song, Christ is mine forevermore. When we get to this verse, meditate on these words. Mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Christian, I don't want to pretend as if you won't experience pain in this life, that you won't experience affliction in this life. The Christian life is not easy. But here's your hope. As we exhort one another to endure in faith, especially when affliction comes, our pain will not be wasted. Christ will complete his work in you and me. Let's pray. Father, our, our pain will not be wasted. Our hope is in Christ. Thank you that Jesus suffered for our sins. Father, I pray for those in this room who are experiencing affliction or suffering now, that they would find hope in the fact that you will come again and you will establish them holy and blameless before you. That they would find comfort in one another. That they would remember that Jesus was destined for the cross. Father, I pray that as a church family, we would do well at comforting those that are experiencing affliction. Father, help us to remember to have a proper theology of suffering as Christians to not pretend as if it won't come but to prepare to trust you when it does come help us Lord in Jesus name amen